it's like between the 50 and 75% of the farmer workers in the United States, they don't have, you know, and now they have a paper that said, hey, you are essential. Print friends, and welcome to the 45th episode of Pine Copper Lime, the internet's number one printmaking podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. I release weekly podcasts with people in the print world doing something a bit beyond the expected. So please subscribe on your podcast listening app of choice. You can find Pine Copper Lime on Patreon, Instagram, Facebook, and you can sign up for the monthly newsletter with print news from around the world, all found at pinecopperline.com. Printmaking forever, shun the non-believers. My guest this week is Carlos Barberina, a self-taught Nicaraguan printmaker now based in Chicago, where he runs the projects Bandolero Press and La Calaca Press. Carlos grew up in the 1970s during a violent and volatile revolution. At a young age, he fled over the border to Costa Rica, where he and his brothers sought refugee status where they sold their drawings on the thoroughfares. Today, he is well known for his satirical relief prints, which mix the imagery of pop culture with that of political and cultural tragedies. Carlos and I spoke in mid-April, right at the height of the COVID panic, and as well as his story, he also shares some beautiful insights into what we all can do now that the world has forced us to slow down. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to get political with Carlos Barbarina. Hi, Carlos. How's it going? Hi, how are you, Miranda? Well, I'm doing well. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, I feel like um, that question has such kind of new overtones in our new world, you know, when you ask someone how they're doing. At least like uh, having good health, uh, so that is the important right now. But, you know, also sometimes it's overwhelming with everything is going around, mm-hmm. happening around. So, yeah. yeah. How have you been uh, doing in quarantine yourself? Well, it has been like uh, a lot of things, you know, like uh, planning things before, so... So it was like a going down everything. So I'm an artist in residence in in a gallery in the neighborhood. So everything it was shut down. So and also I was in the middle of moving mm. my studio, setting up my studio in in a house because we moved to the new place. So so it was like a just like a half of my studio is in, <laughs> is set up. So so it's like a kind of things like a. I want like to do some work and oh my plate is in another place. Right. So, yeah. So it's like like you know. But but at least it's like uh kind of like uh having more time to have some more uh reflections mm-hmm. of what's going on. And I'm from Nicaragua, so so I have family down there and also like a check in like uh every what's going on down there because it's like a kind of like a the government is still in denial, like mm-hmm. what's going on. So, so they are not taking any anything like to prevent or mm-hmm. this like pandemic. So, so it is like a kind of like a very hard time, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for yeah. for a lot of people because we live in a world where we're so separate from family. Yeah, you know, like I live yeah. in a different country than my family, and my family are in the states and. I'm in Australia and it's like you're so concerned for these people that you love and you're so far from them and it's just like it doesn't make things easy that's for sure yeah yeah well I'm really glad that we could find a chance to connect um I've admired your work I feel like for years like I can't even remember when I first came across it um I feel like it's just always kind of been a part of my understanding of the contemporary printmaking world. But for people who may not be familiar with you, 
would you mind giving yourself a little bit of an introduction and just telling people who you are and where you are and what do you do? Yeah, thank you for this opportunity. Well, I'm original. I'm from Nicaragua. I grew up in a family that it has like a somewhat like a tradition in the arts. I, I have like a, my two older brothers are artists as well. So so I grew up in this kind of environment. So when I was so young, like I, I have like a two to left my country because like a different like a situation, the civil war. Mm-hmm. So I emigrate to to Costa Rica. So I was there as a refugee. So so for me it was like a very hard like a, a starting point like a, to to start like a doing art mm. because it was the way that I could express myself. I was living during that time. And I was doing more like a paintings and, and drawings. And, and it was after I returned to Nicaragua. So I started like a more interesting in uh, doing prints. But I never had the opportunity like to work in a real like a print shop. Always was like a kind of like a, a workshops and things like that. So and I had the opportunity to go to Mexico to to a place uh, called Pascuaro in Michoacán. So, so I was like, a, I was doing a residence uh, there and I learned more about pre-making. So, and then it was like, a, it was in 2007 that came the first time to the, to the United States, like I just like to do my, my papers for, for the, my visa here. Mm-hmm. And I moved with my wife in 2008 and we weren't we were living in seattle for a couple of months and after like we moved to chicago so since 2008 i have been in base in chicago and i had the opportunity like to work in a print shop uh in oak park uh, that is called expression graphics so from there i had a lot of like opportunities like to work and collaborate with different artists so so I went more into pre-making and I, I quit like a painting. So from there, so, so I was like, I'm still doing prints. And so when you were growing up in Nicaragua, you said that you had a bit of an artistic family, that your brothers are in the arts as well. Um, were your parents in the arts? Was this something that they really sort of fostered in your family? Was people making and consuming art? Yeah, well, my my mother's side, there is a couple of like a painters, like uh, one of her uncle, it was like a kind of like a famous painting, like mm. a, he, he studied in Germany. And Mostly he was like doing more, mostly like a portraits and things. And and there is another like, uh, it's another part of the family that is like uh, more doing like a more contemporary art uh, during the 70s. So for me, it was like a, you know, like a, like a growing and this family, my grandmother always like uh, hosted like a poetry studies or just like a coming musician so so there's a lot of like a musicians and poets and and artists like uh, in the side of my mom family and my father used like a uh, to wrote like a uh, short stories play guitar hmm. and he did some watercolor so so it was like a very like uh, my my mom it was like a uh, just pushing us like a just like a to do in like a more art and when I was starting like a more like a drawing and, and things it was during the time of the revolution in, in Nicaragua so so I went like a one of those schools the revolution was promoting hmm. and just like a, just my mother said like a, okay I'm gonna have an, another artist in the family you know because <laughs> my two brothers they were already in in the school and it was like a kind of like a tough experience it, it was like uh it was no not for me mm-hmm. it was like a just the instructor he was so rude that <laughs> i was like he was 10 years old 
and I remember I was like a kind of like a, he put me to draw a, a bottle. So I did like a kind of like a version of a bottle, but it was like a cubism. <laughs> and because I, I was watching my, my brothers that they were in the school right. and they were like, just like, a, you know, doing this kind of stuff. So that guy came and said like, you don't have any talent. So <laughs> what are you no. doing here? And he threw up my drawing and I said, oh. never, never. Oh <laughs> never. no. Like, I'm going to take a, a pencil again, you know? Yeah. So it was like a very frustrating and I was like, no. And it was until... I left my country that I was starting like to drawing again, but it was like a just like a years after. Yeah, you know? I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, and and it was like a, something like a kind of like a, it was very organic because it was like a, one of my friends he was taking drawing class with my with my brother, and we used to to play baseball, you know, like, I, and I was waiting for him, like, uh, hey, we're going to go late, like, uh, to, to the game and everything, so, and while I was, I was, like, uh, waiting, so I'm going to start, like, a uh, drawing again, mm-hmm. and my brother said, like, uh, hey, those, those drawings are kind of interesting, so, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, we could sell it, <laughs> and I was, no way, like, uh, so, one day when when I have like a I think like a twenty drawings like a small drawing so he took me to uh, this place that it was like a kind of like a souvenir, you know mm-hmm. like a, that it was just selling for tourists like a, in in Costa Rica so it was this woman like a very like a you know like a serious like in a table so everybody made a line mm-hmm. and she was looking at everything so it was my turn. And I put my drawings there and she started looking and just put in a par like uh, drawings. And she put only like a tree in another side and said like, if you work more in this tree, so I could buy everything. So, mm. and I was like, what? Yeah. How <laughs> so, old were you at this point? I was like a 17, 18 oh, wow. years old. So you're still just like a kid. Yeah. Yeah, it was like a, I I used like a, I used to sell the work of my brother, mm. you know, because my my brother it was too bad like a, to sell his own work. So <laughs> and I remember we used like a, to to go to the embassies and just like a, looking for the for the cultural appointment. Uh, attachment of the of the embassy yeah and just just go there and we we start like a talking and everything like we were like immigrants we were refugees and and everything and I think mostly it was like a kind of like uh, people was looking at me like a kid I I remember I was like (laughs) 10 years old or something like uh, like that and and we were doing this you know like just to survive and and just like a selling like a stuff in on the streets, like in in plazas and things like that. So, but I think it was like very important to me, like that it was like a, having this kind of experience. Like a, you learn a lot. Of, yeah, absolutely. What what kind of images were they? Were you drawing like the baseball players in the field? Was it of what you saw? Were they just completely imagined things? No, it was like a just like a kind of like. Just things that I remember, like, uh, and it was like a my my first drawing. It was like a India ink, like a very intricate like uh, drawings, like, uh, and it was like a mostly like houses, but it was like a empty, like it was like a kind kind of those those landscape that it wasn't any human being there. It was just like a like a adobe houses that. The kind of houses that uh, I was, I grew up. Mm-hmm. So it was like a more like a nostalgic uh, work, and and after one day I I wake up and it was like a old the uh, acrylic sets of my brother. So and then I start painting. So I was like a, I'm I'm gonna try like a, to paint it, but but it was like a very like a primitive kind of like a painting. So I I was like a kind of like a no understand yet, like mm-hmm. a kind of the perspective uh, composition and things, but 
but I was learning. So my, my brother was helping me. So I was like a kind of like a doing this kind of image of the immigrants, the, the mm -hmm. farm workers that went to, to Costa Rica and, and just like a growing and harvesting the sugar canes, the, the coffee and, and, and different like a thing. So, so I was like a more focused on that and, and also like I try like a, to know more about my roots, uh, to explore more about indigenous people. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that was one of my, my things, my representation of, of my work during that time. So you did come to printmaking, it sounds like when you were in Chicago, like you'd known of it, but you sort of found your way to it working at the print studio. Is that correct? Yeah, it was like a before I had some opportunities. So so I, I always like, uh, it was kind of attraction to printmaking, but I never like a try like, a, for example, in Costa Rica. So, so I met one of the great masters there, Francisco Amiguetti. And we showed together and we talk and, and everything, but never, never like a try like a to do a, a, a print. And it wasn't until, I think it was in 2002. So in my hometown, there is a cultural center. It was a house of this, like a priest, like a, that is a poet that just passed, uh, Ernesto Cardenal. So he donated this, this house to another, uh, artists and, and an actor from Austria. Mm -hmm. So, and they start like during the time of the revolution. So they start like just like working in the house and they they do kind of like the investment in, in bringing all these like equipment. And one of the persons that he was involved, he was a printmaker. So, and he brought a convertible press a beautiful press, like uh, etching and, and Lito, you could work both. And he was down there like uh, one time that I was visiting my hometown. So and he invited me like uh, to do some prints. I didn't have any idea about like, uh, I know that what was the print, what it was the, but I didn't know what was the process. So, and he was like a uh, mostly like uh, working on, on, like a etchings, aqua tin, and dry point. So, so my first print it was a dry point, and it's like a kind of a very interesting because it was like a. Now I'm in love with relief print. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely, and it's that's such a different feel, for, like yeah. it's so graphic and bold. But yeah, dry point is just that, the yeah. most delicate. Yeah. So after that experience, like a couple of years after I did a show in my hometown. So, and it was this opportunity that to go to Mexico. So with that idea, like uh, to work more, to study more like uh, uh, etching and coming back to this print shop and teach what was like a learning in my, in my month. So, so I went to Mexico. It was like a kind of like a, I was very exciting about there. But when I got there, they were like a, on a strike. Oh. All the, the people that it was like working there. Uh -huh. So, so but they didn't tell me until I was there. So it was like a, I, I had a, a lunch with the director and everything. Everything is fine. When I got to the print shop, so... So, so I was looking for, you know, like a, to my plates and everything, like a, to start like a working, you know, just planning. And I found in, in my table, like a two limestones. Hmm. So, and I was like, what is this? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have any idea how to work lithograph. Yeah. So the only guy that he was there, he was the printer. So it, and he told me, just draw. But I was like, uh, I was supposed like uh, to come to work to learn more about etching. Yeah. And he said like, I know you don't have any materials, and and this is the only things like uh, the, that we have. And 
and it was like around like a, I don't know it was like a, a Tuesday or so and and he said like a, and you have like a, to work fast because we have like a to do the edition like a Friday and I was like a, what what's going on here <laughs> but in the end it was like a kind of like a, okay that's fine so and and I did and it was like kind of frustrated you know like a, because I was like a, I was supposed like a, to go there and luckily. I met some people in Mexico City before going to Pascuaro, and they let me stay at their apartment. So, so I was like a kind of like a just going around like an old Mexico City, like a just you know getting lost and yeah. in the subway and everything. So, and just in the the food and everything, mm-hmm. and going like at every museum and. One of the things that is very important to me that had a big impact in my work in the way that decide I I was like a kind of like a just getting bored painting. Mm-hmm. So but I think who pushed me into pre making it was Posada. Oh, so yeah. so I went like a, to the National Museum. And it was a big show of, of him. So, and it was my first time, like, looking Posada. So, so it was like, a, I was so amazed about his work, about the satire in his work yeah. and how, how he was doing. Not, not only like a kind of like a, everybody just like a, a know about the skulls and everything. Right. It's, it's about his whole body of work so it blew my mind and and I was like a jazz like when I returned to Nicaragua I was talking with my brother so we need like a, to do something like a, to change this because in Nicaragua the, the pre-makers they were thinking as a painter it was more like a like a selfish thing like it was mm. like a small circle and they didn't like uh, teach you anything and, and and I was like visiting this my short residents in Mexico like I show me how to share how you have like a, to work with another people mm. and not only like a, just like a, working together is like a, you start like a sharing ideas and helping each other so when I came back to Nicaragua so I was like a, very excited and tried like a, to do so so we start like a, working like a, together and just like a, start like a doing shows around and just like a doing demonstration, free demonstration and everything and giving away prints and everything. So so when you returned to, to Nicaragua and you were doing your printmaking and doing the demonstrations, is printmaking pretty well known or were you kind of introducing it to the first time to people? It doesn't have like a kind of like a, the same like a history like Mexico right. it was like a some like a pre-makers you know like a working on the newspapers and and I have been doing like a some research there and there there were a few one of the things that it was like a a big thing in, in pre-making it was during the time of the revolution mm. so the first press for the school of fine art came like a late 70s Mm-hmm. So it was during the Somoza's dictatorship. So the Somoza family ruled the country for 45 years until the, the revolutions. And that press, it was uh, donated by the Organization of American States. And all the students, they started like, doing prints against Somoza. And he was not happy with that, you know. Mm. But after the revolution, so the, the revolution happened in 1979. So all the leftist, like uh, artists, start like uh, uh, coming to, to Nicaragua to work in Nicaragua. And many like uh, artists living, many like uh, Nicaraguan artists, they were like uh, going outside to to learn more about art. They went, a, a lot of people went to Cuba, Venezuela, to the Soviet Union, Russia now. And it was a boom because it was the way like to spread the war in, in the revolution. So it was like a all kind of propaganda. 
So, so mm-hmm. it was like a, it's a lot of like a beautiful like uh, posters, like uh, relief print and screen print uh, about the revolution. So, so everything it was like uh, uh, an original, you know, like uh, it was like a printing, like uh, all the posters and and everything. So, so it was like a, the big boom in in Nicaragua during during the eighties. Yeah, but you know. After we solved the, the problems during the revolution, the embargo, the U.S. embargo, the contrast supported by Reagan, and everything. So, you know, it was a lot of pressure to Nicaragua. So the people that it was in charge, so they, they lost the election in the 90s. So, and the new governments, they were more like a, in the mood of neoliberalism. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, every, everything it was shooting down, and and of course the first thing is like a culture. Right. So it was like yeah. any more like a kind of like a. So when when the pre-making studios in the School of Fine Art, so they were like a dying. So in my hometown, these people that it was coming from Germany and in Austria, so it started like a racing. It's always going up and down like at the pre-making scene in, in, in Nicaragua. But I was like a very excited, like I just like a, to coming back from Mexico and I start like I just pushing. And when I moved like in 2008 to, to Chicago, so I was to start working more with people and collaborating. And I had the opportunity to participate in different portfolios. And I was like, oh man, this is, this is great. You know, mm-hmm. like if you could share with some other people. So I'm starting like uh, organizing like a uh, print exchange. So so I did like a three print exchange, and all of them I I took it to to Nicaragua to show, mm-hmm. and I involved like uh, Nicaraguan printmakers to show like a different work, and also like a like a sharing their their work, uh, showing it here in in the states in in another country. So. So when it comes to your own work, how did you sort of focus on getting better and honing your skills without that formal class situation through university? Did you watch videos? Were you talking to other artists? How did you get to be such a a skilled relief printmaker like you are now? It was like a kind of mix, like having the opportunity to work at expression graphics. Mm-hmm. So I had the, the time like to share with with another like a pre-makers. There, there is a pre-maker from Mexico that helped me a lot, like a René Arceo. He organized like a portfolio and he is well known here in, in, in Chicago. So so I learned a lot of from him and another like a artist there. And also like I, I took like a different like a workshops, you know, like a, just like a, just to learn more. But I think basically it was like a taking every opportunity that, that that I have. For example, in in expression graphics, it was like a working as a cop, and you have to pay for using the press. And I was broke, so, so yeah. I was like a kind of like a looking looking for a way, like a, just like a, to have like a press time. And it was kind of a working like a, as a volunteer, like running the, the gallery there. So it was like, uh, if you see it in the gallery, so you could work at the shop, in the print shop. So, and because it was very small and open, so so I have like a just like a one eye, like a watching the door and another, <laughs> like a, just like a carving or printing. So it was like a kind of like, a, helped me a, a lot. Like, a, and also like a, when, I remember the first time like uh, I came to the States, it was in December in 2007. The first thing that I did with the money that I had, it was like going to Daniel Smith mm-hmm. and buying a baby press. Yeah. <laughs> that was my whole goal. Amazing. <laughs> my, my father-in-law, he was like a kind of like a, not going to buy some paintings. So I spent all my money <laughs> buying this is a small press. And, and it was like, a, you know, I was like a messing around with, with that. Like, uh, it was the only thing that I, I was doing and I was into. And another beautiful thing, it was like a kind of like a going to libraries here. Mm. Like you could go and you could like a take their books 
home that doesn't happen like uh, in Central America. So, mm. so I when like I go like uh, just like uh, take the the books from the libraries and just taking with me uh, and just like uh, studying them at, at home. So that that was the the way. Yeah. So it sounds like it's a combination of learning by just doing and doing all the time and then seeking out the resources like books and that kind of thing. And so in terms of the actual content, the subject matter sort of focuses on these ideas of repression and resistance. And you're looking at things like Monsanto to Palestine to like border politics. How did you come to focus on this? I I think like that is is a combination of trying to express myself and you know going crazy is all the you know the, the experience of life. So I grew up in Nicaragua. I was under the Somoza dictatorship. So it was like a one of the more horrible dictator in dictatorship in in Latin America. Mm-hmm. So so we went in a civil war, and it came. Uh, the the revolution, the Nicaraguan revolution that it was leading for the by the Sandinista guerrilla. For many people, it was like a big change. So there was a lot of hope in in this revolution that is gonna change everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And there there were like a different things in the revolution that they were good. It was like a free healthcare, like a education, just like a, a reforms like a, in the farms or giving giving like a land to the farmers and to work on and in a lot of things but it was like a different things that that happened that the revolution didn't work because it was like a first it was the embargo the u.s embargo and also like because the sandinistas that after they were leading the revolution they turned more like a radical part of the sandinista that they took over after so it was more marxism and communism so and the things affected a lot like uh, in the way like uh, Nicaragua could be a change so so it was like a kind of like a just like a left a return like a, from from a school and my mom said like uh, you have to leave and and I said why mm. and it was no you have to leave to Costa Rica and I was like why why and and it was because you know, it was like during that time, it was the military service. Like one of my brothers oh. were already in the military service. My older brother, he was already in exile. And they were like calling to my mom, like just like to say, like putting some pressure because my older brother, he participated during the, the revolution. But after in the turns that happened, so he was disappointed and he left the, the country. Hmm. And so it was like a kind of like a, they were like, a, if your son is not coming, so we are taking a, your other son. So, and then I was 13 years old. So it was hmm. like a kind of like insane. And the next day I was in a bus and going to, to Costa Rica. So wow. to meet my, my brother. So, and it was like a, you know, it was like a kind of like a things like that. So, like uh, having like a, a big impact, you know, like, uh, and also like a uh, living there in, in, in Costa Rica. So, so this, I lived there as a uh, undocumented, like uh, for a while be, before I could apply like uh, to the uh, asylum or, or a refugee status. So, and when, when I got the, the status, so, so it was like a kind of like a start to understand like uh, how people treat you and you know that the media and, and everything against all the immigrants all the nicaraguans you are like uh, the bad people but is the people that is like a uh, growing your vegetables your fruit right to everything for a miserable uh, money you know like uh, so everything it was like uh, just like uh, just looking and, and so like uh, you know when when you are like an artist you start like meeting meeting another artist and it was like uh, all these kind of people like uh, from Chile that came to Costa Rica as uh, refugees during the Pinochet era so everything it was like a just like a you know changing your mind and yeah. just like a going 
in having all all these conversations with all these kind of people. So it was like a kind of like a changing my mind mm-hmm. and also from my own experience. So you know, and and it's and it's kind of the the things like just just coming to the United States is like a coming to the <laughs> to the belly of the monster, you know, like <laughs> a, all all the all the policies that United States have like with Latin America. So all these kind of dictatorship that United States put in when it's born like a taking out and all the pressure that they put to the to the country. So mm-hmm. so it's kind of a all all those experience and and after the revolution, you know, Nicaragua was changing a lot. And after during the nineties with all the neoliberalism like uh, governments. So also more changing more. So doing like a, this gap more bigger between rich people and poor people. So we are like a, right now the second poorest country in Latin America mm-hmm. after hate. So, so we are always competing, you know, who is the poorest. <laughs> and we have a lot of like a research. It's just like a, we haven't been have like a lucky enough, yeah. you know, like a, to have like real leadership. Like, a, so we have been trying right and left and didn't work and it's like a kind of like a, this kind of like a experience like a, I try like a, to push in my in my work not taking any like a side it's just like a, taking the side of, of the people yeah absolutely recently I I was like uh, I was reading about like uh, right now like uh, the big irony you know like uh, the in the comment and like uh, workers are essential, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, that is insane. That is <laughs> disgusting. That, that is like, uh, until now you are like a uh, saying that they yeah. are, they are like, uh, essential that it's like at the, between the 50 and 75, like a percent of the farmer workers in the United States, mm-hmm. they don't have, you know, and now they have a paper that said like, uh, Hey, you are essential, but it doesn't mean that I, I'm not gonna deport you. You know, yeah. so so it's more like a disposable, like a human beings. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this kind of things like I, I'm very like interesting because I have been like in that position. You know, mm-hmm. so absolutely. When you're creating these images, it's really quite a variety of of different issues that your work addresses from all over the world. And I'm wondering how, when you're in it and you're working on it and you're kind of taking on all these really kind of awful truths that are around all of us, how do you kind of keep from being overwhelmed by it? How do you keep up that energy of like, no, this is this is wrong and I'm going to create an image that says that and says how I feel. And then I can go over here and I can create another one without just kind of burning out. Oh yeah. It is. It's like a very difficult, you, you know, like you don't have like a, enough time like mm. a, to, to address everything that is going. And one of the things that happened like uh, three years ago, I was like, I never feel like I was always like a working and working and working. And three years ago in Nicaragua, it was like a some protest, like uh, it was some protest for elderly people. It was protesting about a new law that that the Nicaraguan government was like a, trying to put, and it was like a, just like a, you have like a, to being retired at sixty five years old, mm. and and also it was like a kind of like a, cutting down like a five percent of you were receiving, and also it was retroactive. The, the law so so people that it was already like receiving money from the pension from the retirement so they were like getting uh, less money so mm-hmm. so they were protesting in in the government that that is the same guy that it, that it was during the 80s during the, the revolution and he has been like uh, in power almost for 16 years I think right now so they send like a police like to beat up like uh, the protesters and also like uh, they go in, they go like uh, to more hardship like a neighborhoods and mm. and bring like uh, criminals and all 
these these people like uh, that they know so to just beat up like uh, to elderly people so it was like uh, the students like at uh, the university students jump up in in that protest and the government started like a uh, killing students so it was like a kind of like a very very like a terrible scene and and that was going on and it, and I was like a just I couldn't work for months mm-hmm. like uh, I couldn't make like a uh, like a uh, to create something I was just Every day I was like in my computer calling my family what's going on because it was like a just just going crazy, you know, like uh, it was like they were burning like uh, buildings and, you know, taking like students and disappearing people. It was just like something that it wasn't happening in Nicaragua in 40 years. Right. It was like a kind of a the dictatorship that we were living before the revolution. So, and it was like uh, doing, but people that it was like uh, during the time of the revolution, that you feel like, uh, hey, they they are different. But no, when when they are in power, so it's like a kind of like a, they don't care about it. Yeah. And I think that is the time that it that I feel like a lot of pressure. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you how do you find a way to kind of come out on the other side of it? Because you know you 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 found a way to make work again. Is it just sort of time and processing it yourself that allows you to get to the point where you're ready to create work about what you were experiencing? Yeah, I I think like uh, it took time to just think and reflect about what was going on because I didn't want like just to produce a, a work and said something I was you know I I, I want like to thinking more in in kind of like a taking more perspective you know because it was like a first of all I'm not down there right I don't know what's going on mm-hmm. it was like a, the media it, it was like a just ignoring. It was another people here in the United States, like a Nicaraguans, you know, with a lot of like a background, like, a, you know, talking shit about and there is no no happening down there. Right. That is like a fake news right. and things like that. So and it was like a very like, a, you know, you you don't know what's going on. So so I was like a kind of like a very careful and it was more like uh, I took the positions of people, you know, like uh, I did a portrait of one of the students that he was killed. He was a kid at 15 years old. And, mm-hmm. and for me, it was it was very hard because it was like a, I feeling that it was like me, like uh, yeah. kind of like when I, I fled my, my country. And this kid, it was in high school. And the only things that he wants like to do, it was like a going and help the, the the university students that they were protesting. And he took the the money like that every day his parents like were giving like you know to have like a lunch at, at the school. And he went and bought some water. And when he was like leaving the the water, he was shot by a, a sniper. Mm. So and also like a and that is no, and it's still more more horrible because the students took him to the hospital, and they deny like uh, medical attention uh. because the government said like I, if the students come in here, so they don't they don't have like a, to receive any attention. So and he died there. So it was like a kind of like a, these kind of strong things that it was like a kind of like a, having nightmares about like a, you yeah. know like. You can do anything, and and also like uh, people like uh, trolling you and, and everything. So yeah. So it was like a kind of like. A, but I think also like having like uh, working also like uh, distractions that that I could have when when it's very tough for me to create something new is like uh, I teach classes. Mm-hmm. You know, I do collaboration with with another artist. Like I work with a group of Latinx filmmaker here in, in in Chicago. That we we do a, a lot of like uh, educational programs and and we organize a, a festival, a free festival in November that is called Grabadolandia. Hmm. That translate like a print line. 
And it's like a, an event that we do at the National Museum of Mexican Art. And it's like a three days that is for free. So we don't charge anything to the people. Mm. And we don't charge to the print shops that we invite. We always like try like a, to invite an international, like a printmaker, just to come doing talks and, and everything. So in some way, like... Uh, is kind of a distraction for me. Like I yeah. just like going out and and printing t-shirts and just getting the funds like to to have like a, these events, you know. So so I think like a doing like a different different things is kind of like a, taking out all the overwhelming all my demons right. <laughs> I have to deal yeah. with. Yeah, that makes sense. That that the actual work can kind of exercise the demons or something a little bit that it yeah. feels like you're doing something especially when you're so far away i mean the the hard thing is like adjust to thinking and, and resolve that the work that you have like to put out mm-hmm. and after the work is done is it's done right. <laughs> you know? and you don't have like a to deal anymore with this kind of pressure so it's like just like a but when it's inside, in, in your mind and your soul, like uh, revolving there, so it is, it's very hard. Yeah. In terms of actually the imagery that you create, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was how, you know, you're dealing with some of these really heavy issues, but you'll often weave pop culture images into it. So you might see Mickey Mouse, for instance, appear in a print that is about something that is so grim. And I just am kind of curious if you could speak to that a little bit in terms of how these pop culture images and icons kind of fit in to the message and why do they appear in your work and how you started using that. That is Posada fault. Uh-huh. Okay, great. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of like I, I was trying like, to do something more kind of a satire and things uh-huh. like that. I remember like uh, when when I was doing paintings and it was like uh, just like uh, approaching these kind of heavy things. So I had a, a lot of like criticism, like uh, that my paintings, it was too heavy, mm. you know, like these kind of things like uh, the always like uh, the galleries, they want like a more commercial, more something that they they are gonna sell and i feel you know that they, they are like uh, it's business you know yeah but also sure. like uh, you have like a, to have time like a, to do this this kind of work like a, you want like a, to to express to communicate for me kind of like a, as an artist i i need it i need like a, to communicate something i don't want like a, to do something that it was just decorative you know like uh, that is not bad if, if you want like uh, to do it do it and and also I have a, a lot of fun like uh, doing skulls and th- yeah things that and that is no no heavy that's probably people like that uh, is like a kind of things that is beautiful but I was like a kind of like a, you know trying like uh, to to come with something and I was like uh, thinking about like uh, the way students at, at the schools like I learned about masters and it's like a just copying them and learning and I said like uh, okay I'm I'm gonna try something but it's gonna be kind of like a different thing you know like uh, and I remember that the first work that, that I did was the Venus from by Botticelli and it mm-hmm. was for a show in Nicaragua that I got invited and I was thinking about it, and, and it was like uh, the, the show, the theme, it was about uh, Gaia. And, and one of the very interesting things, it was like uh, the people that it was like uh, coming to the show, they were receiving a native, like a tree. So you could like uh, go back after the show and and just put it in, in your patio or uh-huh. in your neighborhood. You know, and it was like a lot of like a, almost like a 2000 native trees. So so it was like a, a big show that it was founded by the Sweden embassy. So it was like I got invited. So, and I was like thinking about, you know, like a Gaia and how how to put it right now and how Botticelli was like 
thinking, living during this time. And it was like a kind of like a, in the back of your mind is some image like I didn't start like a looking at it. And I think it was like a, some friend or send me a postal from Italy or something. So uh-huh. so I have like a, the there. And I started looking and it was like a, one of the angel like a blowing like and I was like a trying like a, oh and I thinking like a, oh this is this image could be like a very good like a, for appropriating this image and I could do some new work and put in all these like a uh, heavy things like a, instead blowing air the angel is blowing fire mm-hmm. and push run in the back like at the Venus with uh, with the mask the gas mask and all these pipelines and, and everything you know like so, so I was trying like a, to to take uh, this image to to appropriate that image with the same like a kind of like a composition and but also like a put in some more like a contemporary image there and create a new work but also like a using like a kind of a hook because everybody knows like the venus so people is gonna come and right. when they are close they just start like a looking all these kind of like a things like a to have this conversation with the public, you know, like, uh, and they just started like uh, thinking about like, uh, why this guy? And, and some people is like, they feel insulted because I'm making this, appropriating this. And, and you know, like in the history of art, like uh, you have a lot of like uh, masterpieces that it was appropriation of another. Yeah. And everybody has like, a, you know, reference and i mean it's like a just contemporary work but it was like a kind of a strategy more because if i create like a, something that it was gonna be very dark and going there and nobody like a put too much attention but it's like a kind of like like a, it's the hook you know like a, you take it and you know and and it's some some things that it was like a just like a looking stuff and reading stuff i create another la macmona it was reading a blog and and it was like an interview with the director of the loop hmm. about his position of like a put a mcdonald's in the loop in courtyard and something like that so so it was like a it was that the journalist was like a asking why mcdonald's you know mm-hmm. it's french mm-hmm. and he said like a, oh it's it's perfect because McDonald's is a icon in contemporary culture and the Mona Lisa is the best representation hmm. of art, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I have like a to do. <laughs> and it was like a near to the, to the show that is like a day of the day show. So, right. so then was, and also like, a, you know, like a how, you know, with all the, kind of experience of like a corporation and things like that and and you could see in, in my prints a lot of like uh, the golden arch mm-hmm. there yeah <laughs> and and it's part more like a kind of like the contemporary landscape like I I remember like when I when I was traveling like to another states for a show or, or whatever and just taking the train so, so you could see during the night, like at the McDonald's sign there, and it was like a just just coming like a, a landscape, and it's also like a, you know in in Latin America it's like a kind of representation of the capitalism. Yeah, and it's um you know particularly the brands they become such shorthand. You know, it's such like a you you get a an image that you can use like the golden arches that just comes preloaded with association for people both positive and negative. And so when you pop it into your work, it seems like it's a great way to message a whole bunch of different concepts with just a few lines, which is really fascinating. Yeah. And, and, and I think like, I mean, it's, it's more like a behind because it's, it's kind of like my own experience. I remember when I was a kid, it was only like a one McDonald's in Nicaragua. Hmm. And I went, one time with one of my uncle that were there. And during the revolution, because it was like a, everything it went, went down and, 
So McDonald's left out the country, you know, <laughs> but came like a late 2000s, I think, or, or late 90s. And it was like a huge line. It was like a three blocks line <laughs> to get into the restaurant. <laughs> and it was like, a, why people, why? Yeah. <laughs> and, and during that time, people, families there down there, they live like a, with $1. And I was like, I can't. Why? Why? <laughs> what you are gonna spend five dollars like yeah. to go for trash food? You know, you have like a amazing food that you could go. But but it is the status quo and, and I have a, a self portrait like a, that is called Machiter. And and it was when when I was living in, in, in Costa Rica. So I was in high school there and all my friends going to the McDonald's. It was like, a, I think during that time it was like a two McDonald's, but mm -hmm. but it was like a kind of like a representation of the status quo, you know, like I, and also like uh, where my friends, they were around. And it was so crazy because it was like a, it was every time that I was like a, getting like a hamburger or whatever, I got sick. So, and, really? and it was like, a, but, but I come back because my, my friends, they were there, you know, like a kind of like, a, you know, then everybody was hanging out there and, you know, right. and it was cool to, to be part of, of that culture, you know, like Costa Rica is very Americanized, right. like a countries, but after like a, in the States, like, uh, I was invited by Melanie Jatsi to participate in a, in a portfolio. And I was about American food and I was like, a, I have like a to do something, but it is not something that people expect, you know, like a, when you see like a criticizing like American food, but it's not just like a, just putting a, someone obese or something more obvious, you know. And I was like, a, oh, I'm going to do my self-portrait, you know, mm -hmm. like a, and put me in the spot too. Because I'm part of of the problem too, you know. Mm. I'm part of this society of this society of consumerism, and it's like a, you have like a to acknowledge that you are part of the problem to start like a changing something. So it's kind of like a you know <laughs> one thing is taken to another. So so I was like a, when I start this series, I I was like a, just coming with different ideas, and it was like a, and I. And I saw people how they were attracted, and it was more better feedback to to my work than, mm -hmm. than before. Before I I did a a portfolio that is called Años de Miedo, Years of Fear, and it was like a kind of like a, oh, it's very sad, it's very strong, you know. And it was like a kind of like a part of a project that I wanted to do. That it was like a in the Civil War in, in Nicaragua. It was something that I did like uh, in 2000. I did some big paintings and and I was hoping to move around in all Central America, all these countries that they were like uh, devastated by the war during the 80s, 70s, mm. but didn't work. You know, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the research like uh, to move around and they were big. So so I decided like uh, to do a portfolio small portfolio so and during that time I had like a lot of like a reference from uh, Wayasamin that is kind of like a very cubism very like expressionist and artist from from Ecuador so Katie Kowitz, uh Picasso Goya you know and they were very dark and kind of like a, in the way that I could could them it was like a kind of the German expressionism. Mm. So it was strictly to the plate, no drawing, no nothing. Maybe a, just like a couple of lines, but I was like a drawing with, with the tool. So, and, and people start like, oh, he's so depressed. And you know, <laughs> <laughs> I remember that I was like a, an article because I presented the first time in expression graphics in Oak Park and the article, it was like a Nicaraguan artist bring the word to Oak Park. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, as we're kind of like coming to the end of the recording time that we have, 
I'd love for you to tell people anything that you're looking forward to, anything that might be on the horizon. I know a lot of artists have experienced all of these things kind of drying up in the COVID era because we live so much in the future, you know, looking for the next exhibition or the next conference or the next portfolio. But I'm hoping you can tell us anything art related, I guess, or not that you're looking forward to that we can see sometime in the future. Yeah, well, one of the things before everything hit the fan. Mm-hmm. So I was like uh, kind of putting together my my studio, like uh, to have a space, you know, like uh, to work more. Like I, we have been like living always in, a, in an apartment and, and I didn't have like a, I was working, you know, like in a table always, like in the living room or or just in a, if we had lucky, it was an extra, like a bedroom and having my studio there. And now we have a space, we we have a a house. So so then we recently moved like uh, in January. So it was like a mostly like working in the house, like doing kind of thing. So, so my year, this year, it was more like a focus and just mm-hmm. putting together my own stuff. I, I didn't want like a to, I didn't sign up for any shows. Like a, probably I'm going to be doing shows, but now <laughs> we don't know, Yeah. but, but anything big. So, so I was like, a, last year it was, it was amazing. I was showing everywhere. I had a show that like, uh, I put together like uh, 80 pieces that that I was so happy to be to see together the, the show and <clears throat> traveling a lot and having like a a lot of like uh, opportunities. But I was like uh, mm, this year I went like uh, just to focus on me. Yeah, like just to get inside, getting alone. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I, I just spoke too loud, <laughs> and to start working in a new body of work and just like going like in you know different direction, experiment more, mm-hmm. and and that was my my goal for for this year, and I was like a more like a. What can I say? Like, uh, just to rethink and about what I have been doing during the last ten years, like mm-hmm. doing remaking, and I think that that is the that is very important. Like, uh, to just to stop sometime and just like uh, to review what you have been doing. So, and you know, I was like uh, just like uh, planning things with the place that I'm an artist in residence, like a, just like a more like a keep like a teaching like a, for the community and things like that. So, but now we don't, we don't know like uh, what's going on like uh, with big plans, but, but I think I have been doing, you know, for years, <laughs> these things. <laughs> Like right now that I I haven't like uh, be able like uh, to print too much so so I have been like uh, just drawing and drawing and just like uh, you know just experimenting things mm-hmm. so yeah it sounds like yeah kind of using the time as a bit for reflection and yeah. moving forward with yeah. with intention which I think is always good and it's not only like in a part of like you know like uh, of the art is is like a how we are gonna resolve of these problems that we have been seeing that is for real that is all the insane things that that is gonna happen that you could see like uh, here in Chicago the nurses like are uh, using plastic bags mm-hmm. and things like that and mm-hmm. they don't have the equipment so so it's it's horrible or just like uh, the people that is more affecting is like a uh, black and Latino mm-hmm. people, you know, like, absolutely, because they are more like a, you know, like a vulnerable, like a communities. So yep. what we are gonna do change this kind of thing, and it's it's insane, you know. This is kind of like a, it's very depressing, but in the same time we we need like a, to 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 work more, and and I think we need like a, to to work more 
in the ground. I'm not interested in like and the president who is going to be the next president. It's not going to change anything. Mm. And it's more like a kind of like a working here in the ground, like with the people. So, I mean, I'm I'm disappointed with the way that it's going to go. Yeah. Like the elections, but we see what happened. Well, I, no, I th- actually, I think that's like a nice place to wrap up because it's such, I feel like really speaks so well about your work this idea of we need not to focus on continuing this cycle of like the large forms of corruption that don't change anything but to actually look to what we can change which is as you said like the grassroots that is where an individual can actually affect things so I think that that's like a really beautiful place to end on can you let people know where they can find you and follow your work and see what's coming up in the for the horizon? Yeah, uh, you could follow me like uh, Instagram is Carlos Barberena. I know sometimes it's very difficult <laughs> my last name. And also, like uh, I have a website with the same name, mm-hmm. but that one is not always updated. So, so we are gonna try like and now that I have like a, sometimes I get to work on but you can look like a more of my work and it's a more updated website is bandolero press okay mm-hmm. yeah bandolerpress.com so so it's like a, it's gonna be more updated and, and probably in the future I'm gonna be like a launching some projects so so kind of like a doing more interesting things so well i can put links to your website um and your instagram and bandolero press all in the show notes and thank you so much for joining me this has been an incredible conversation and i've learned just so much so thank you again this has been a real a real pleasure Oh, thank you so much for the invitation. Like, uh, I was very excited when when I was like looking and, and I saw like uh, the other day like a uh, Martin. So, so I know Martin. So, yeah. and and also I I saw another homie, Joseph Velasquez. Oh, he's great. Yeah, he was a yeah, great so. a great guest as well. Well, I'll be in touch, and I look forward to releasing this sometime in the next couple weeks, and I'll I'll let you know. Okay, sounds great. Okay, thank you so much, Carlos. Have a great evening. You too, and take care. Be safe. Well, that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Jason Fu. Jason grew up in Sydney, Australia, the son of Chinese immigrants, and he creates playful and darkly humorous works, which examine cross-cultural communications, how we remember the past, and sometimes shitting yourself from drink. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing help from Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.